After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is being stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who's the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that we come to know Jesus. Lord, uh, we are needy. We need you to come and instruct us. We need you to come and feed us, Lord, to arrest our thoughts, to draw us into your presence. Lord, I feel my own frailty and uh, the weakness of my words, and so we pray that you would be here working, applying your word to your people's hearts, uh, drawing many in, piercing us, Lord, but also healing us. We pray you would do this uh, for our sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For many of us, uh, discussing the Sabbath immediately raises our defenses. <clears throat> uh, if you don't know what the Sabbath is, it comes from God's work week in creation. So he creates uh, the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rests. And that is the pattern that is given to all of uh, God's people and the rest of creation uh, as a pattern for our work weeks. So in particular, we rest by being with God and his people, uh, devoting our entire day to him and what he is doing. Uh, but perhaps this is one of those places where you say, you know, this is exactly why I hate Christianity. Right? Not only do you tell me what I can and can't do, but this is also one of those things you begin to organize my time. You tell me how to run my scheduler. Uh, can't you get your fingers off this day? And I think in part, if that's your feeling, you're right. Because in fact, many times, the Sabbath is treated this way. Uh, it's treated as a very particular uh, micromanaging uh, way of controlling your day. And in particular, uh, this was true in Jesus' day, as we'll see. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus does not correct the Jewish leaders for caring about it. He doesn't say, guys... You're so upset, just chill, right? No, in fact, he says that they get the whole thing upside down. They've turned it on its head. 
So it's important for us to think about this, though, why it is that we don't like the Sabbath, why it's a struggle for us, because when we think about it, we'll begin to see that we have a core belief which blinds us from really seeing the gift that the Sabbath is. Namely, we believe that we are the most needed and important actors, doers, workers, planners, beings in the world. And so our actions should never be constrained. We should be free to do as we like because we got stuff to do. What we don't see is that God's actually the one who's working, and who's working is the most profound and impactful. And that, in fact, is what the Sabbath is about. Well, maybe you aren't the person who thinks, you know, my work is so important. Maybe you're the opposite. Maybe actually uh, you feel terribly depressed at how unimportant your work is. You feel like you're never productive enough and you're constantly anxious. Or you feel like you want to find some significant work to show and maybe gain some sort of status. Or perhaps maybe months of unemployment have been wearing on you. And so you feel uh, maybe undignified. Well, let me just venture uh, to say that I think you may have bought into the same belief, but perhaps from the other side of the coin. Namely, that we believe we are only as important or valuable as we are productive. Doing important stuff makes us important. And if I'm not doing it, then that means I'm not important. Well, that, makes, that belief makes sense, because here's the deal. This is the way the world works. This is how you get into universities. This is how you get onto the team. This is how you stay on the team. How you get the job. You show, hey, I have these set of competencies that I can produce, and I can produce it at such a high level, and I'm a great asset to this team. I'm valuable. But it's also perfectly destructive because we don't leave it there. In fact, we take the next step where we turn the value of our work into our own value as well. If I'm in a high position, I have authority, or I produce good things, or I have good insights, or I begin to believe, I then begin to believe that that makes me an important and good person. This, my friends, is a terrible slavery. It's a terrible slavery, and it's one that will not let you rest, because here's the deal. Uh, as much as you may be the boss, super competent, hyper producer, there will never be a day when your insecurities and your fears of failing will not stop nagging you. There will never be a day. It will always ride on you. Am I doing enough? What if I drop the ball on something or someone finds out that I dropped the ball? What if I blow it? And this is just as true for you if you have kind of a more... Uh, industrial era job in an office or uh, something like that, or one of the more ancient professions of mother, father, entrepreneur, farmer, or whatever. What if I fail? What does that say about me? Now, the reality is that work is good and dignifying. You don't think so? Ask anyone who's been unemployed. It's good to have work. It's nice. But the Sabbath tells us that while we are made to be workers, right, that's part of our job, we are workers in the world, we are more than our work. We're more than our work. In fact, we are not slaves, the Bible says, but we are divine image bearers who mimic and get to be a part of God's work and rest. The Sabbath, friends, is good news in Christ. And that's what we're thinking about today. Jewish leaders of Jesus' day missed this entirely. In fact, they found a, a very special way to make the Sabbath into a special kind of slavery. 
Uh, if you read some, you know, kind of first and second century documents, they have long lists of the particular kinds of work that do and don't count as work on the Sabbath. Uh, one example would be uh, picking up your mat and moving it from one place to another, as this healed man does. So when they see this mat picker-upper walking, they are hot to trot, right? And they go and find Jesus with some suspicions. I, I think you might be uh, a pro mat picker-upper. And they find their suspicions are actually G-rated, right? Jesus not only says, I am pro mat picking up, but I am working. <laughs> not even that, I'm working. And I'm working because I'm God. So Jesus uh, actually wants to take their whole view of taking the Sabbath and making it into this performance and this duty to be upheld and wants to turn the whole thing upside down because Jesus is up to a very different work than they realize. So I want to spend a bit of time thinking about Jesus' view of the Sabbath this morning and three things in particular. The Sabbath is about God's working. The Sabbath is about God's timing. And the Sabbath is about God's mercy. So, work, time, mercy. These are the three parts of the Sabbath that Jesus wants to teach us about. Look at verse 17. There's our first point. Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus uh, says that the Father has been working, and that he's just joining. And in fact, Jesus is referring back to Genesis 1 and 2 where uh, we talked about you have these six days of creation where God is working, right? Time begins as a result of God's work and production. And then he finishes his work on the seventh day and rests, or the word Shabbat, where we get Sabbath from. Now, that doesn't mean inactivity. In fact, it has the sense of completion, of sitting back and saying, that is good. I'm going to enjoy the benefits of this completed work, the totality of his work being finished. Well, first off, one, hello. first thing we have to realize is that the fact that God is working is in itself profound. You see, uh, for anyone coming out of Egypt, like the Israelites were in the Exodus, they would have been well-trained in uh, the theology of Egypt and Sumeria and Assyria that gods don't work. That's why they made people, all of you, to make stuff for them, right? The gods, they party, they eat and drink and all the other things associated with that, and they want you to make things for them. That's why you exist. And that, in fact, is why you are slaves of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh himself is probably not human, mostly God, and that's why he doesn't work. So, as an Israelite, you begin to learn, I'm, I'm a cog I'm a cog. I'm a worker, and my food is fuel, and I'm simply a cog, and God is a terrible slave master who has assigned this king to beat me into submission. And my job is simply to produce. That's only the only thing I'm good for. Genesis comes along and says, actually, no. God has worked. God has worked but he goes even farther and says, actually, uh, God's work is not just something for him. It's not simply some special divine work. It's also the whole pattern for our work, too. If you go and read through Genesis 1 and 2, you find that Adam and Eve are tasked with taking the creation that God has made, this little garden, 
and expanding it out throughout the whole world so that now instead of God's glory being confined to this lovely little garden, God's glory and kindness and his spirit are mapped all throughout all the crevices of the world. And so Adam and Eve's work is not simply to keep them busy. It's actually part of what God is doing in the world. Their work is accomplishing God's mission in the world. That is a profoundly high view of the value of our work. But Genesis says that God finished his work. So what do we do with that? He ceased. Jesus says that the Father is working until now, and Jesus is simply continuing and joining in that work. Well, the reality is that God actually never stopped working in the sense of inactivity. That he kicked up his feet and turned on the latest episode of Portlandia or whatever have you, uh, sipping margaritas, okay? Uh, rather, his rest was that he completed the job of creation. But that doesn't mean that he stopped maintaining, tending to, supplying every aspect of creation. I mean, think about this. The laws of gravity... Entropy and everything else that keep things in order are not happenstance. They continue to be powerful and upheld because God so wills it. The tides, orbit of the moon, are guided and maintained by his hand. The rains, sun, blossoming of buds, fruiting and seeds, supply of food, water, wind, light, are all upheld by God's will, as is your own beating heart. Even more so, we see this in the history of God's work and redemption in the world, that he has been driving it along by his kingly commands, but also bringing it about by his spirit, right? In, in uh, creation, you see the spirit hovering over the waters, but it doesn't say, and then the spirit left and God got back. No, the spirit's actually active throughout the whole thing. And what you begin to realize is that actually the spirit has always been stirring, driving, equipping, tilling, moving, softening, hardening, driving apart, bringing together. His spirit did not stop with the creation of the world, but in fact, hovers over all of humanity. Knows your heart, not only from above as God himself, but actually his spirit is currently searching out the inner crevices and caverns of your heart actively today and, brothers and sisters, throughout your life. Throughout your life. In fact, you can look back over your life if you know the Lord and say, there's not, a, there's not a detail of my life that was not the result of God's kind, tender, guiding and shaping of all things for my sake. You look back through the history of the Bible, the same thing. God is working on behalf of his people on each step of the way. So the picture that Jesus has is that ever since the beginning of the world, God has called his people to gather and rest on the Sabbath so that he could minister to them. God has completed his works, not so he can check out, but so that he can give his works to us so that we can join him in his divine rest. It's crazy. The Sabbath is God's gift to us because on it he meets with us, he hears us, he forgives our sins, he binds us together in this building, he teaches us his word, accepts and uses our offerings and lives for his glory and for our good, feeds us with himself. So God is active in all of our worship service. 
God is currently working on our behalf. Whose service is this? It's God's service to us. God here meets with us and ministers to us. He stops what he's doing so that he, so that he can wash us with his grace. He's so kind, so tender. You have to think and realize that in every single one of your hearts and minds and body, God is tending to the particular needs today. This is the generosity of God who works hard, tirelessly, diligently, so he can be generous. That's Jesus' view of the Sabbath. (laughs) It's so wildly God-centric that it actually turns our whole view of it on its head and shows us that, in fact, this day is wonderful news. So the second thing is, Sabbath shows us God's timing. And in particular, I want to say that the Sabbath reorients us to God's timing. First off, the Sabbath shows us the end of all things. It's eschatological. So you think about this. The creation week has this pattern of God working and crafting and building for the sake of the final day of rest. Well, actually, that creation week is an image. It's a picture of the entire history of the world. That all of God's creation is being worked on and shaped and stirred for the sake of God's final rest, covering all of the earth as the glory of God, as the waters cover the seas. And in fact, God has worked and called humanity to work and to bring about that final rest. So the Sabbath is a picture for us of what heaven is like, of the glory of God abiding with us. Sabbath is heaven on earth. The problem, of course, is that Adam and Eve uh, did not accomplish the work given to them. Uh, In fact, they decided, don't like that work. We're going to set up our own kingdom and build our own empire for our own glory. And all the work humanity might have done throughout the history of the world, or whatever progress we want to point to, none of it has accomplished the rest that we actually long for. None of it has. But Jesus comes, and he says, I am the Sabbath of God. Here, in person, before you, in a body. And so when you get to the New Testament, the pattern is different, because Jesus has accomplished the work that was supposed to bring about the rest. Jesus did the righteousness of God. He fulfilled all the works of the Father to bring about the true and everlasting Sabbath rest. You know, in fact, Jesus, as he was crucified on a Friday evening, which, by the way, is the end of the work week for Jews, said what? It's finished. It's completed. Satisfied, accomplished, having taken all of our sins upon himself and yet been righteous his whole life. He completed the work of God and accomplished the great everlasting Sabbath rest for all of God's people. And Jesus entered into that eternal Sabbath on a Sunday when he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Jesus' resurrection created the new world of the Sabbath. There is a new world of eternal rest that Jesus has created and entered into in his own physical body. And he did it on a Sunday. So that now our pattern is not work six to accomplish the seventh of rest, but I begin with rest. 
I begin with Jesus' accomplishments. I begin with what he has worked for me first day. And from there flows the rest of my work. This is what I mean when Jesus is turning everything on its head. All our work flows from the rest Christ has accomplished for us. So the Lord's Day, Sunday, is a foretaste now in Christ of our eternal rest with God. Little tangible Sabbath rests in our bodies where we get together and we see each other and we say hi (laughs) and we hug each other and we eat food and we sing and God speaks to us and he meets with us and we feast and we drink beer and we take naps. Tangible, physical foretastes of the eternal rest. Why is this so important? Why does it matter? Well, first off, we need to realize that reordering our calendar is a reordering of our life. Okay, your calendar functions like uh, the way the big boulders and rivers do. If you've ever been to Icicle Creek uh, in Leavenworth or even in some of the uh, deeper gullies of the Nooksack, you know uh, that when the big rivers, or the, the big boulders are in the river, uh, they don't budge. But what does the water do? It squeaks by them and makes room for them, and that is, in fact, the way that our calendars work. We have certain big boulders in our life around which everything else fits. And that's not just a logistical thing. In fact, the things that order our weeks also order our thinking. They also order our affections. They order how we evaluate what's important, what's a priority. So that now my calendar is actually a little liturgy for my life of what's important, who I am and where God has taken me and what my value is in the world. And this is why the Christian church has made its own calendar, among other reasons. I've functioned most of my life in the academic calendar, right? September through June, I'm doing school, working on stuff, and that should tell you what kind of criteria I've usually lived under, whose approval I think about, what measures of significance and importance and accomplishment are my metrics throughout the week. So the Christian calendar, I mean both like Advent, Epiphany, Lent, we're in Lent now, Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, Ordinary Time, that Christian calendar of the year is a strong statement that God has his own time, that he's working in a very different way than some of the other calendars and liturgies of the world. But in particular, Sundays. Sundays are this stamp every week that my value, my life, my ordering of my priorities, my significance, my time begins with the Lord and with his care for me. So we begin our week with rest. So while the rest of the world is at Home Depot worried about taking care of business, we are worried about having God take care of us. I mean, pick your poison. Seriously, we come and get to be with the Lord. Sundays in particular are this lighthouse at the beginning of your week to signal to you to come in from the world. It's okay that you've been working under these metrics of the world and values of the world. Come in and find refuge with the Lord. Come and find hope. This is where your real life is. Oh yeah, that's right. My life is not about building my own kingdom, but God is building a kingdom and he's making me a part of it. But they're also a lighthouse to you to to remind you the Lord knows the difficulty of your work. The Lord knows. Sundays remind us 
that my work, my actions are not the most important ones. I, I don't move mountains. I can't. And in fact, my work, the significance of my work, will fade. I promise. In 50 years, I will be forgotten about. Even if one of us has a totally epic, phenomenal life, in 100 years, we'll be forgotten about. And hallelujah! What freedom is that? My mistakes and errors and my failure to capitalize on every single moment will not go into the annals of history because God is the one who is writing the history of the world. It is his time that tells me my value. And it turns out that, in fact, my value has nothing to do with how much I can accomplish for him, but the fact that I get to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Hallelujah. So we begin our week with the eternal rest that Jesus has accomplished, and from there, from there, we go into the world as a new people. And this brings us to our last point. What is God's work on the Sabbath? What's he actually up to? And I'm going to say that the Sabbath is about God's work of mercy. It's mercy. So Jesus works on the Sabbath not to flout the laws and, you know, tell the, the Pharisees to chill. In fact, he works on the Sabbath to truly fulfill it. If there's a main point of the passage, this is it. The Sabbath work of God is work of mercy. And that's exactly what God tells the Israelites their Sabbath should look like in Isaiah 58. This is uh, certainly in Jesus' mind. And let me just read it to you. This is a longer passage, but just listen and absorb what the Lord's after on days like this. Is this not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And the Lord will guide you and continually, continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you hear it in the passage? Mercy. Mercy. Loosing the bonds of wickedness, undoing the straps of the yoke, letting the oppressed go free, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, bringing the homeless into your home, clothing the naked. But it's also our delight. This is the doorway to delight on the Sabbath. Listen, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
So Sabbath work is mercy work. And it makes perfect sense. God brings us together to pour this overabundance of mercy on us and kindness. He tends to us so that we can go and share his mercy with each other. And this, it turns out, will give us the deepest satisfaction and rest in him that we long for because we're simply shadowing the Lord. I'm just following him where he's going. He's the one doing the work. I'm just showing up. I'm just opening up my house. So God's mercy in particular in this passage is given to the sickly, the shut-in, the marginalized, the lowly. Think about the fact that Jesus probably could have walked by that pool with the five colonnades and all the sick and paralyzed people in it. But he went in. He was present. Chose to go there. This is the day to welcome people into your homes. If there ever was a day, this is it. Especially those who have been having a rough month. Who feel overwhelmed. Uh, people who are here in the church who don't have many friends yet. Who are single and want family to hang out with. This is the day you should have bonfires and invite your skittish neighbors over. Right? The single moms and kids and no dads, the elderly on your block, or the refugees and, dare I say, the illegal immigrants. Because this is the day where Jesus' kingdom is the one that determines our ethics. This is the day when Jesus' kingdom is displayed. That Jesus is merciful. So we are equipped to go and visit the shut-ins and people in hospitals. Now, some of you might be thinking, hey, this sounds great. Love your vision. Problem is, I can barely make it here on Sundays. So how am I supposed to get away from work? There's all this stuff to do. Well, I'll just first give a caveat. There is such a thing as works in the necessity. Right? The medical profession, healing bodies, uh, firemen, policemen, mothers. Most mothers don't get the day off. Uh, those are just works of necessity, but they're also works of mercy, we could argue. But let me just say, uh, perhaps when you hear this topic being discussed, if you're not in one of those groups, your mind immediately races to all the reasons why it's impossible for you to not work your job on Sundays. Maybe you feel a tad defensive. Maybe you don't, because you're here this morning. High five. <clears throat> Let me just simply say that I'm, more, I'm happy to talk to you about how to navigate people compelling you to work on Sundays. I've been through that my, myself, but that's not really my, my, my point here today. My point is actually, I want to think about the fact that we are demanded to work on Sundays. Where does that compulsion come from in our society? I'll just say, I do not believe that working on Sundays is a benefit to the people working or to the businesses who compel their people to work, either in the short run or the long run. I don't think it's good for them. That's because this aspect of the mercy of the Sabbath is one we often miss, and that is that God's mercy is given to servants and the weak. As much as we are Sabbath receivers and rest receivers, we are also called to be rest givers. You might say, you know, I don't have servants. I don't have servants anymore. Um, and I'd love a servant. <laughs> I'd love someone to come in Sundays and clean up my stuff and do my laundry and do my dishes. That'd be super. But the reality is, is that actually, in our society, we've just commodified servants. Right? It's called full-time and part-time jobs. Uh, we've commodified it in terms of working hours and wages earned uh, and kind of stripped it of the relationship and the mutual loyalty and all the other things you see in other countries. But while we may not summon our maid to clean up our Sunday dinner, uh, we do use many other services of businesses on Sundays. Uh, these businesses, in turn, compel their employees to serve us so that more money can be made. 
and no surprise. Let me be concrete. In restaurants, there are four good shifts. Friday night dinner, Saturday night dinner, Saturday brunch, and Sunday lunch when the after-church crowd comes in. If every Christian in America decided they would never go out to eat again after church, that would be a huge economic climate change, period. So huge that when I was looking for work in restaurants during seminary, that would not have even entered into the conversation. But as it was, that was one of the first questions. Can you work Sundays? Big shift, need a lot of people. More than that, my friends that I worked with, people who wanted to know what the Lord's about, they could have come to church with me on Sundays because they weren't busy prepping for the lunch shift I couldn't work. So, what I mean is that Sabbath-keeping is not simply for us, but also equally for those who serve us. So, will I shame you for going out to lunch after this? No way. No way. Uh, that wouldn't be a help to you, first of all. Also, I can't judge, because uh, my own bad planning this week, I have to order pizzas for our sound and musician get-together after church. So, uh, no position of judgment here. But what I am saying is that I can't see how either of those things is doing a favor to our neighbors. And I'm trying to figure out what it looks like for me to actually plan ahead and think about, how do, I, how do I stop doing this? How do I quit compelling people to work for me on Sundays? Because I want them to have rest. Sabbath keeping is a concrete and bodily statement that my agenda, my work, my plans, yes, even my needs, or my boredom, or my love of entertainment, is not as important or even half as beneficial and life-giving as God's working. And that is never something I can keep for myself. It's always multiplying and spreading out to all nations. That's the way God does it. So, let me just, a few applications here. First, all Christian obedience starts with small first steps. So if you feel overwhelmed, first thing to say is, Let's start small, because the small steps are where the real heart change begins. So for some of you, a first step may simply be to make the Lord's Day a priority in your life. And not simply a priority that I need to I'll do it, but a priority that you want to come and be fed. You want to come and be nourished, be filled, meet with God's people. This is a blessing to me. And that may take work to remember that that's what it really is. I may take meditating and thinking and reminding yourself, no, 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 this is not my box to check. God is meeting me there. I'm going I'm to see my friends. For some of you, uh, I think this will mean thinking through the kinds of things you do on Sundays. Uh, I'm not eager to give you a list of do's and don'ts. Partly, I'm not smart enough to know what you should and shouldn't do. I don't know your life well enough, per se. Uh, but also partly because Sundays for my wife and I are entirely exhausting. Right? By 1 p.m., I am just tanked. I want to sleep. Uh, and I'm confused personally about how I'm supposed to set aside the day and still feel rested when, in fact, I'm super busy. I'm exhausted. I'm poured out. So let me just first off invite you to start that conversation. What does it look like for us to really receive God's rest on Sundays and to give it? For some of you, you are masterful at the duty of the Sabbath. And in fact, that's the problem. Because you're so agitated about making sure it's dialed in that you're actually tired by it. 
anxious about it. I find myself in this camp often as well. Let me just ask you, though, what would it look like for you to really blow it? What would it look like for you to fail? Would the work still get done? Would the work still get done? And is the Lord working on your behalf, or will his plans fail if you don't pull it off? Let me just finish by telling you a little story from my past. <clears throat> After high school, I went to Bible school for a year in a couple places in Costa Rica and Sweden. you think I was tanning on the beach in Costa Rica only part of the time. Um, and uh, from some of my first weeks in Costa Rica, uh, we go to church, and uh, surprisingly few Bible school students go to church, but that's another conversation. And, uh, you know, go to the church and find all the features that's so easy to find overseas. Uh, lots of mediocre inspirational and bad teaching, uh, lots of really long guitar solos in the middle of the church, um, and, you know, exciting worship all in a huge corrugated steel cement warehouse. Uh, so uh, sound systems were just always a, a bear. But I remember leaving and, you know, being glad to be done in some ways and thinking, you know, I'm just going to go grab a sandwich from one of these bakeries or cafes I saw on the way in. And walking to the cafe, that's closed. Oh, that's weird. Walking to the next one, block after block. All these places are closed. What's the deal? After a few hours of walking around, no one's even on the street anymore. Finally, it dawned on me, I'm, I'm in a Roman Catholic country. These people keep the Sabbath. They're actually doing it. Well, at first, I felt really angry, even judgmental. You know, those people wouldn't be so poor if they'd sell me a sandwich. Right? Um, yeah, that, that's right. I thought that. Um, but here's the other thing. As I kept pacing through the empty streets, the, the haunting reality crept in. I am what's wrong with this picture. I'm the problem. Because I am demanding that I be served, that my needs be met, at my convenience, regardless of how it affects you. Don't care. But then came the loving and freeing thought. This is my Sabbath too. And the Lord intends to meet me and to actually minister to me, to care for me today, if only I would turn to him. That was the beginning for me of seeing the sweet space that I had cluttered for so long. God works on our behalfs, friends to minister and feed us today in his mercy. Let's not stand in his way, but bring others in to enjoy it with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you were a hard worker, that you exerted yourself, that your obedience to the Father was costly to you, and yet you gave it to us as a gift. Lord, we struggle to receive rest. And you know why that is. You know where our pride gets in the way and why. So I pray, Lord, that you'd be with us today. Loosen our grip. Help us to trust you and rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and confess our faith together.